Welcome to Psyched for Business, helping business leaders understand and apply cutting-edge business psychology principles in the workplace. Hi, and welcome to Psyched for Business. I'm Richard Anderson. Thanks for joining me. In this episode, we're joined by Josh Jeffries, who is an extrovert who started his own coaching business. And we find out why he did that and some of the things that he's found out throughout the experience. I hope you enjoy. Thanks again for listening. Josh Jeffries, welcome to Psych for Business. How are you doing? Thank you for joining me. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm good, thanks. A little bit dishevelled, got a toddler who's not sleeping very well, so apologies for the eye bags, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm well. You never have to apologise for anything like that with me, Josh. I've been through that um, twice myself. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a difficult time, but a fun one, isn't it? it certainly is, yeah. Fantastic. Well, thanks again, Josh, for, for making the time. I've enjoyed getting to know you over the last few weeks. I know that we share a number of things in common. I know that you're an extrovert. You started a business. You're a solopreneur, as I was at, at one stage. We've both got toddlers. There's, there's a lot that we've got in common. And I think for the, the listeners, they'd be really interested to hear more about your journey. That's obviously what this podcast is going to be all about, you taking us through that journey. But as a bit of a starter for 10, would you be happy to tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into the world of coaching yeah sure i'm originally from oxford now a south londoner which is is tough being an arsenal fan so usually not i've spent a lot of my time north of the river over the last few years but now reside in south london yeah married to ellie got a little daughter yeah i've been coaching for full-time kind of coaching for about seven years and yeah it's quite an interesting route in i suppose so i first heard about coaching through a friend of mine who invited me up to Scotland to work on his estate, which sounds very kind of bougie. But um, my mate was the office manager on a consultancy up in Scotland. He was training as a psychologist and as a coach. And I went up to work the grounds during my first summer as a student. I was just kind of working the grounds with this groundskeeper in Scotland, which was unbelievable. It was um, on Loch Tay up in Perthshire. Lovely. Yeah, so it was incredible. I didn't really know anything about coaching. I think like a lot of people never really didn't really know that coaching existed as a profession. Mm. And when I kind of heard about it, learned a bit about the psychology behind it, some of the theories behind it and and what coaching could do, I was just fascinated by it to be honest. And and I kind of knew I was probably I think I was 21 at the time. I knew then that if there was any chance that I could become a coach, then I would I would take it. So I, I did. And that was my, probably my first exposure to it. And then I went to uni, went through uni, and then I worked for an amazing charity in London, actually, as a trainee coach. So my first experience of coaching was working with young people at risk of social exclusion. So 16 to 25 year olds who are out of work and struggling just in life and struggling to get back in, into work or into education. And we would essentially we would recruit them at job centres and then onto a six-week pre-employability course. And we'd coach them in groups and one-to-one to help them with mindset, help them with CV writing, with interview preparation, with job applications. Yeah. A lot of mindset, though, is really like helping them actually get job ready so that when they actually get into work, they could sustain employment. And then we would also coach them for a year after they got into work to help them sustain employment. An amazing charity. I still follow them today. I'm still in touch with lots of people who work there. They're called Spear. Well, the charity is called Resurgo, but the Spear program is, is where I worked. Okay. 
during my time there, I, I, I did a course called Coaching for Leadership, which was essentially the kind of crash course in, in coaching. And actually, to this day, it's hands down some of the best training I've ever had, even after kind of seven years of, of doing it full time. Yeah. It was amazing. So that was my kind of introduction, a window into coaching up in Scotland. And then it was an opportunity to actually start coaching with Spear. And then I did, did that and really fell in love with it. And knew that that was what I wanted to do. I think it's brilliant as well at, at such a young age. And you, you said you were 21 when you went up to Scotland and you did that. It's it's nice to know what you want to do and stay true to that. And obviously you've done that. And you obviously had a, a stage working for other organisations in, mm. in coaching. You've mentioned one already, but then you've gone out and you're now a solopreneur. So you started your own business earlier on this, earlier on this year? Back in the last yeah, year? Yeah, March this year, yeah. March this year, brilliant. You've called it Capital Traits. Why don't you tell us why you've called it Capital Traits and, and what's it all about? So just quickly going back, after I left Spear, I joined a company called Acre. They're an amazing global recruitment consultancy who operate in sustainability. And they had a like a learning and development arm that they just launched. I'd been there for two years in a recruitment capacity, so training as a recruitment consultant and um, just kind of cutting my teeth in the in the world of sales and recruitment, which was which was good, mm. good fun. And I got an opportunity to join their L and D startup. It's called Acre Frameworks. So I, I joined them after two years at Acre. One of the first things I did as part of my my training there was to take some training with SHL's Occupational Personality Questionnaire, the OPQ, which is a trait-based psychometric tool. So we would use the OPQ. We also had a bespoke competency framework, which we used to support leadership development. So we would assess people, give them feedback on their results, and help them kind of formulate a development plan with that. And then from there, we grew out a coaching business, which I helped to spearhead. I did a transformational coaching diploma with Animas, which is a center for coaching so i had this psychometric qualification i had this coaching diploma and then did that for five years and i Mm. I absolutely loved it i mean over the course of my career and you know relatively short one i appreciate but i've had exposure to different uh, assessments you know type-based indicators straight trait-based indicators myers-briggs insights you know you name it I've, i've been through it and i just I just fell in love with the OPQ as a as a really powerful tool, which I, I felt was a really good launch pad for an amazing conversation about self-awareness, about personality, about working styles, about strengths, development gaps, all kinds of things. I, I'd never use it as a kind of a, an in or an out, too predictive a measure or definitive a measure, but as a launch pad for a conversation. So I kind of, I really enjoyed the world of trait-based assessments. And so when I came to start my own business, I was thinking about names and, you know, what do I want to call it? And, and I just, I thought, well, capital traits made sense because I guess you could say my business is about helping people to capitalize on nice. the key traits that, that make yeah. them uniquely them. We all have capital traits, traits that come more naturally to us, that make us uniquely us and I think the more we can play to those whilst also of course growing a self-awareness and mitigating things that don't come so naturally to us right the more effective we can be and the more likely we are to thrive in life and at work so capital traits had a ring to it and I just went for it. (laughs) 
I mean, it sounds brilliant. It, it rolls off the tongue and uh, makes complete sense when you explain it. You've started talking about psychometrics, so I wouldn't mind touching on that for another minute or two if you're happy to. So trait-based tools, type-based tools. I've actually recorded a couple of these podcasts where we've looked at the differences between these tools, and it's it's a really interesting topic for anybody who's not familiar with type versus trait. But you mentioned the OPQ, the SHL, Occupational Personality Questionnaire, what do you love about that particular tool? And when you when you say it acts as a, a as a launch pad for discussion, in what capacity? How does that normally work? Yeah, so I mean, most of your listeners will be familiar, way more familiar with this stuff than I am, to be honest. I'm not a psychometrician. And I wouldn't call myself a psychometrician because I don't have a clinical or business psychology background. So I'm a bit of a black sheep, to be honest. I'm like a, I'm a coach who trained with how to use the OPQ. What I love about it is that it doesn't put anyone in a box. Yeah. Maybe that's a bias that I have. I don't like being put in a box or being told that this is who I am. And I've seen it in the past where that can be a little bit dangerous. I think personality type tools are super interesting, right? And actually Mm. hugely very accurate. My only concern with them is that people start over-identifying with their types or the caricatures that they've yeah, yeah. been placed with. And I've seen it before. It becomes like a self-fulfilling prophecy. People are like, oh, I'm so red or oh, that's such a yellow thing to do or that's so blue of you or oh, you're a classic ENFP or whatever. And this is not me slighting those type-based indicators because I think they're great and useful. I just think they've got to be taken with a pinch of salt. And what I like about the OPQ in particular is that it puts your personality onto a continuum of 1 to 10 based on preference. There are 32 different behaviors, so it's quite granular. It's quite light touch. You know, it's not too deep and predictive. And I've seen it evolve over time as well. You know, it's it's how you report on the OPQ depends on where you're at, your mindset, the environment you're in, how candid you've been with the with the questionnaire. You know, so there's a number of factors and it can change. It can evolve slightly. You know, some things don't evolve much because we are relatively fixed in some ways. But, you know, some some things do change if you're intentional about them. So I just feel like it gives you quite a lot of room for manoeuvre. Yes. Quite interesting to work with. It's coming from a you know a place of genuine curiosity because I've never sat the OPQ and it's it, it's funny because you, you said before I'm not a psychometrician and I'm not an absolute expert in in psychometrics but Josh we've developed a psychometric platform and I'm nowhere near as expert as I probably should be yeah. in these things. It's fine to talk about the technology from my perspective but when it comes to the ins and outs of the tools so it is it's just genuinely interesting I think I could probably do with sitting a number of these types of tools and maybe having some uh, some coaching to deliver myself i'll ping one out to you and matt there you go F- fantastic stuff yeah. brilliant okay so what i'm really interested in i probably should have asked you this before but i'll ask it now so you talked how you got into coaching and and how you your initial i suppose experience or, or observation of coaching what do you love best about it so you mentioned trying to get people into jobs before was it the satisfaction of them getting into jobs based on the coaching that you provided them was it that what do you love best about coaching josh so i'll give you quite a philosophical answer go for it and i'll be interested to hear you know if you agree with this or or not because it could make for an interesting discussion but i'm of the feeling that generally in in life in society we're getting worse at listening 
to each other. I think there's a number of factors. We're constantly distracted. Our phones, digitalization, work, emails, life is busy. The world's uncertain and, and you know volatile and complex and all of that. It's pretty hectic times. And I think if there's a knock-on effect on the quality of relationships. There's a knock-on effect on the quality of, of listening. I felt it certainly as a friend and just the way, you know, from what I what I observe. So what I love about coaching is that it is this uninterrupted space where people get to speak, they get to think out loud, they get to be listened to and, and listened for. You know, I listen to my clients, and I listen for my clients, right? So I'm, you know, it's deep listening you're doing. And I, I just, clients love it, you know, and, and I love it. I've got a coach that I see once a month selfishly it's my time just to, to brain dump to to think out loud to bounce ideas back and forth to have my assumptions challenged and I just think it's a wonderful quite a sacred space the answer really what do I love about it is I, I find it's a incredible privilege to hold that space for people if what I think is true that generally we're getting we're getting worse at listening then as a coach I get to hold an amazing space for people to be listened to. And that's a profound privilege. Yeah, I think that's a great answer. And you asked me what I what, what I thought or whether I agreed or not. And I, I certainly do. I think it's, you know, listening skills, are they're not what they once were. And I wonder how much of that's down to mobile phones and being addicted to things like Instagram and Twitter and whatever it might be that you just become immersed in your, in your phone and therefore... I was listening to a, a podcast fairly recently. I can't remember the name of the podcast, but it was kind of along those lines where he was talking about listening skills or concentration skills or skills that have to be practiced. They can't just be taken for granted. And I wonder how much mobile phones and computers or whatever it might be are just having an effect on those skills that we probably should have just naturally, but, but maybe struggle with. So I do agree with that. So would you therefore say that for a coach to be effective – you need to be an incredible listener. Yeah, 100%. This is funny, though, because I think, in, in a way, my coaching training was exactly what I needed to help me in, in respect with respect to my natural preferences and personality type. I'm an extrovert, right? We, we'll talk about this in a bit. I'm an extrovert, but I'm also really outspoken. I'm quite chatty. I interject, or I try not to, but yeah, I interject. I speak up. I'm quick to speak up. I have a lot, of, a lot of ideas. I get very um, energized and very passionate. And so actually, when I went through my coaching training, I was massively struck and challenged by my impulse to, to speak. And actually, it was like a real disciplined training for me to, to bite my tongue, to suspend my judgment, to really listen and listen at a deep level and do what they call third-person listening, you know, you know listening two and four and from different perspectives, it's quite, you know, it's quite a deep kind of practice. It was exactly what I needed, right? Third person listening. So, sorry, Josh, just can we just dissect that. So what, what does that mean, please? Yeah, so third person listening, it's like there's me and you, this is the kind of um, what would be called like a transactional conversation, right? I speak, you speak. And then, you know, third person listening is almost like you're the third person in the room observing right. what's being said. You hold a more objective position to the exchange yeah so as a coach you, you practice third person listening or global listening some people call it 
yeah, there's different terms for it, but it's essentially listening on a on a deeper le- deeper level. So when I say I listen to you and I listen for you, I'm listening to what you're saying, but I'm also as I get to know you and according to my intuition, etc., I'm listening like on your behalf as well. Yeah, brilliant. So a coach has to be a superb listener. What do you think about the coachee? So the person who is being coached and how much do they have to be willing to talk? Do you find that that's ever a, an issue? Because I think we hear, you know, a lot these days, particularly when it comes to uh, mental health and fitness and those types of things that the people aren't willing to speak. Do you, do you find that that's ever a, mm. that's ever a challenge? Is, is that a prerequisite to have yeah. a good coaching, you know, a listener, but you've got to have someone who's willing to talk? Yeah, definitely. It's interesting because when I first started coaching for Acre, when I was at Acre Frameworks before, it was a slightly different business model to, to the one I operate, right? So, you know, we would partner with with clients, big clients, often with global teams, and the client would would make coaching available to a whole team. And that amazingly generous kind of gift to give to your team, right? Like, here's six sessions to use with yeah. a coach. It was really interesting noticing kind of the people that would jump at that and take it up and others that you would have to kind of nudge and chase to say, hey, like, oh, you haven't booked in a session. You know, would you like to book in a session? It just went to show for me that, you know, some people, they're a bit more, not suspicious, but, you know, they don't feel they need it or they personally find the one-to-one space a little bit intimidating or a bit, bit much. Maybe it's just not what they need right there in that moment in their life or career. So they're a bit more hesitant or whatever. So yeah, you do. And and so I'm a bit different in that, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't sell a coaching package now and, and make it available to a whole team or or prescribe coaching. Say you, you've got mm. to go to six sessions. Not that Aker did, but you know, it's a yeah. bit different. I really want to work with co- people that that really want to work with me and really value the space. But equally, I think some people need a little bit of a nudge sometimes to open up. I'm working with someone at the moment who who took me up on the offer of coaching. He came and asked for coaching but actually in our sessions for the first two sessions really struggled to to speak freely just because it was just he'd never had to do it before he'd never he'd never done it before so you know you can create a as psychologically safe environment as you like you can be as approachable and and friendly as you like but some people it just takes time and actually you just need to go with at their pace just because you've got a session it's confidential and no one's going to interrupt you doesn't mean that you're suddenly going to start going for it and bring loads of ideas and goals to the session. Yeah, of course. And and I think the reason I asked that is because I've, I've told you this fairly recently, I started some coaching myself this year mm. for the first time ever. And it wasn't until I was sat in the room with my coach, who's, who's been absolutely brilliant, and sat down with her and was asked questions or given the opportunity to have a forum there to speak even until I was in that situation, I thought, well, this, this isn't going to be for me. You know, why, why would somebody coach me? You know, am I good enough to be coached? And maybe there's the imposter syndrome that kicks in and oh, I only need a coach if I've got a massive worry that's in the back of my head. But now I genuinely would encourage, based on the experience that I've had, anybody to go and see see the services of a coach because I think there's always areas that you can improve and 
you know, it might be imposter syndrome for one person as it has been for me and catastrophize. And I'm very open with these things. So I think it's important to talk about in kind of worst case scenario, which is often, you know, with business and, you know, what if there's a problem with a business or difficult conversations or whatever it has to be. But but I think it's massively important for, for everybody. But But one thing that has always struck me, and I don't know how much you see of this or even if you've got a view on it, but coaching is often reserved for leadership within a lot of organizations and a lot of the budgets go towards developing leaders rather than individual contributors. But yeah. but I can see the merits of putting it across the business. Josh, I don't know. I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah, you're singing singing from the same hymn sheet. Just quickly on, on what you just said about, you know, what you bring to a session. What's really useful, so in your sessions, you might want to do some journaling before you go to your session hmm. because it might help you to formulate your ideas you know, ultimately, sometimes it's just nice to get in, go into a session, blank canvas, see where it goes, right? And I, I find sometimes I do that with my coaching. It's great. I send out coaching preparation forms for some people because we're all different. We all think differently. Yeah. And yeah, so some people like to reflect and write, and then they come and they, they share their ideas. Coaching, ultimately, is different to counseling. Coaching, is about, it should have a fairly forward momentum to it. There should be a thrust. There should be some goals. You should kind of know what the coach and the, and the client should know what you're aiming for. It's usually good to have a bit of a game plan or some goals, objectives, and a bit of preparation really helps that. So I would always encourage clients, if you're seeing a coach, you get out what you put in. So go prepared for your session, knowing what you want to talk about as often as you can. And then, yeah, on the latter point, yeah, I'm totally with you. So my strap line or like my mission i've recently come up with this mission a few few weeks ago it kind of like dropped into my consciousness and i was like yes that's why i'm doing this business is to democratize leadership development so mm. capital traits exists to democratize leadership development what right. that means is it's exactly what you've just said coaching is often a luxury reserved for senior professionals at the twilight of their careers and don't get me wrong, that's great because as leaders in businesses, you're the culture carriers, you're often the gatekeepers of, you know, of the business. You role model a lot. Often what you role model is going to form and shape the culture and the environment that, of your business. So it's hugely important that leaders are getting coaching and are growing in self-awareness, et cetera. But I'd say potentially more important is that you develop a culture of coaching in your business by making you know, things like a set personality assessment and coaching accessible to as many people as possible. And if you think about it, you know, the earlier you, you sow that into your business, over time, you're going to reap the benefits. Yeah. It's, it sounds a bit harsh on, on leaders or, or senior people. And I don't mean it this way, right? But, but you could argue that by the time you've reached a certain point in your career, you've been successful, you know, and you're, you're now a leader in a, in a business. It's like spending loads of money on leadership teams and investing heavily in leadership teams sometimes can be a little bit of a waste, wasted resource. Mm. Because, you know, leaders are successful for a reason, right? They're there for a reason. But they maybe haven't all got into those positions because of their natural leadership ability. A lot mm. of them have got there because of longevity and because they're experts in their field. Yeah. And so yeah. they become leaders of the business. So maybe they're, they're not thinking so much about culture, behaviors, how to develop a coaching culture and, and 
a leadership culture. They're maybe not thinking so much about that, but they're yeah. business leaders in their own right, and they're great, mm. right? But so it's it's like it's got to do both. I personally think you got to do both, and I think the client, the businesses that do more at the junior level, at that entry level, and really sew in at that level will will reap the benefits. The only problem is, as you know, you know, coaching is just ridiculously expensive a lot of the time. As personality assessments are so expensive. And so it makes it really difficult for, for businesses to invest in the making coaching accessible to everyone. But that's one of the things that I'm trying to to change. You know, I, I don't think it needs to be as expensive as it as it has been. I know that you're hugely passionate about that and and, and listen, I, I completely I completely agree with you. I love that coaching. I sound like a salesperson if you get me. No, you know, I, I like I'm selling it if I get too into it, but it's crazy what people are charging, and I don't, I don't think it needs to be the case. No, no, absolutely. And it's funny when you talk about coaching culture because, again, not a labour the point, but until this year, and I started my own coaching, and I saw the benefits and reap the rewards and the results of of that. Well, I thought, well, if this is working for me, why can't this work across my team? And obviously, we're a we're a small business, and one of the things that you're always thinking about as a small business is expenditure you know how expensive things are return on investment all of that sort of stuff and i know what the return on investment on these types of tools are but i guess it's not everybody will know that i think part of the reason that i know that is because i live in this world and we work with a number of different coaches and people who lnd practitioners those sorts of things mm-hmm. but i think for small businesses as well josh in particular there's massive opportunity out there for people to buy into that whole coaching culture return on investment in lnd is like the white whale even really senior L&D practitioners that I've spoken to, you know, I'm talking like 30 years in the industry, mm. leading L&D for some of the biggest companies in the world. They, they, even they really struggle to, to tell a really compelling story on the return on investment for L&D because it is quite abstract. You know, ultimately, it's always going to be difficult. You often see kind of relatively vague statistics about engagement levels and productivity and that kind of thing. But really the proof... The proof of the pudding is it's in actually in talking to people. It's in qualitative insights around how people are feeling, how they're performing, how they're doing, what's changed. Then you will, if you track it, you'll see the return on investment. But yeah, it's it's challenging. It is. It is absolutely. And it's quantify. Yeah, of course. You've given some really good insights so far, Josh, into into the world of coaching and kind of how you got into that. But I'm really interested in why you've started your own business and, and why now of all times? Yeah, why? It was a really bizarre time to start my own business, actually. I mean, on paper. On paper, it was a bizarre time. It, it wasn't bizarre to me, but from the outside in, it might look strange. I'm really lucky to have had a, a really amazing relationship with my with my former employer. I still work with Acre in an associate capacity. I, I don't have a bad word to say about them. I think they're an incredible business. And I had an amazing relationship with my previous line manager as well, Anna Keane. I'll make sure she's, I send this to her so she hears this. But yeah, so she, she was a, a great mentor to me and a, a formidable businesswoman, a great, great role model. And she and I had a very transparent relationship in, in terms of, you know, where I was going within the company, where my ambitions lay, et cetera. So it was, it was really open and honest. And, and I told her years ago that I wanted to start my own practice one day. We used to talk regularly about it, like it would come up in in what we call alliance conversations, which was like a appraisal conversations. And so we'd check in on it every now and again. And then and then in my kind of fifth year, sixth year working with her, 
we just sat down and I said, Hey, um, I think it's, I think it's time. And she said, I had a feeling you might say that and said, uh, and said, what, you know, what can we do to help? And it was really freeing. Actually, we agreed uh, an end date and I, and I launched. So I was really lucky, but in terms of why there were a few factors, right? So I was working from home, like the rest, the rest of the world or many, many certainly in professional services. So I was working from home in my spare room. I'm a massive extrovert. And mm. I wasn't getting any of the benefits of being an extrovert in the workplace. I.e., I wasn't going in, seeing my team. I wasn't in the office having water cooler chats, as the, the Americans call it, or just like coffee chats or after work beers, which I used to love. And so like all the benefits of being an extrovert in the workplace had kind of gone with lockdown and work from home and stuff. I found myself actually really busy with work and I was spending a lot of my time one-to-one over camera doing virtual coaching or assessments. It was just a case of, you know, I, I can be doing this for myself. Yeah. I've always wanted to do it for myself. Why don't I just do it? It was a weird time in that I just lost my mum. So it was really kind of a out of the blue, really tough time for me and the family. But the, the kind of silver lining meant that we had a modest windfall coming, you know, yeah. some inheritance coming. And, and I kind of knew that there was some like a safety blanket coming for, for me and my family. That meant that you know for the next year, if it didn't work out, like I could afford mm. to to pay for the the heating and put food on the table yeah, if yeah. need be. Yeah. So I had this kind of like security blanket, and I thought, you know what? Now's as good as time as any. I had a vision for it. I'd always been thinking about what it would look like, what I'd do, and so I just went for it. And it's been amazing, honestly. Like it's been it's been so cool. Loved it. I love being a solopreneur. I always get that name wrong as a yeah solo business owner yeah i think that's right um, yeah not without his challenges as you and i have discussed yeah of, of course and it's brilliant that you had a really supportive previous employer in acre as well that knew that that was your dream and that was your aspiration and ambition and, and supported you with that and obviously you've still got a great relationship i think that's massively important I had a very similar experience with my previous company, a company called Perfect Image, since we're, we're naming names, you never know. A couple of those guys might listen to that, who knows? But yeah, I think that's that, that's massively important. And you mentioned the fact that you're a, you're a massive extrovert. So I guess it was, you might as well be doing this for yourself if you're not getting those benefits. Like you say, that's really, yeah, it's really interesting. Being a massive extrovert and now being a solo preneur, which I think is the right the right term, sounds good anyway. I mean, you've, you've said you, you've, you've, it's been a fantastic experience, but have you, is there any elements of working for yourself that you have found difficult, given that you are an extrovert? The obvious one. I work in a garden office at the bottom of my garden. Yeah. An amazing little space we've created. And I just, sometimes I just wish there was someone just over there that I could just have a quick chat with or distract, you know. I was on, <laughs> on a webinar recently with a, with a psychologist called Nikita, who I really admire, again, you know, it's important that we nod, we nod to people that, that have played an impact, had an impact. Oh, he's amazing. I learned so much from him. But he was saying, you know, he was describing extroverts as uh, like meerkats. He said, you know, you, you can always spot an extrovert in the office because they'll just every now and again, they'll just pop their head up above yeah. them. Just, like, see who, can they, who they can distract. Just, yeah. just this. I was that guy. Like, I, you know, I love coaching. I love the one-to-one stuff. You know, I like to think I'm... Um, I can be disciplined when I need to be, but I also love to just have a quick chat, distract someone, have a laugh. And that's what I miss. You know, I really miss that. And I miss, you know, I'm getting better now, but I miss having a network of like-minded people in the same boat as me. You know, I'm getting 
now are kind of finding those people and joining like network groups and, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I found a guy who was a friend of a friend who uh, we meet we meet up with every couple of weeks now. Uh, we meet up and, and work in the Brewdog Waterloo, which has like a co-working space. Yeah, so yeah. We're there together, which is always dangerous because, you know, you work in this co-working space and then the bar's just downstairs. But it's so fun when we work together. You know, we I actually get loads done, but we're in the same world. We chat, we chat psychology, we chat assessments and, and startup life. And um, it's just great working with him. His name's Mike Brown. Might as well say that. Hello, Mike. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's the, that's the main one. How about you? I mean, because you're now, you've got a, you've got a team, but. Yeah, we, we do now. I have a team now and I was very keen to get one as soon as I was able to afford one, really. That, that's the, yeah. That was the crux of it. When I started, as you know, I've got a co-founder, Matt, but there was only me full-time at the business for, for quite some time, I would say, probably for the first maybe 18 months there or thereabouts. And because I'm an extrovert too, and I've been so used to being office-based. And when I was working from home at the beginning, when we started Evolve, that was in the days where it was it wasn't normal to work from home. Most people worked at, it wasn't normal, but the majority of people, you know, in my world worked in an office. So I found that really difficult because everyone was, my wife was going out to work every day. Friends were always out and about at work. And I was kind of moving from the bedroom to the kitchen, to the dining room where I worked. And I was in a really small dining room. It wasn't set up as a kid at this point. We just had our first, he was like three months when I did it. So is there ever a right time to do it, Josh? There you go. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> But that that you described there with a three month old moving from Mm. the the dining room to the kitchen to the spare room, whatever. That is one of the toughest things about working from home, I think, for 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 anyone. Everyone's got their challenges. I had a couple of mates who were in flats with housemates and they didn't they only had like one communal area. So their kitchen dining room was quite pokey. They worked in their bedroom and they lived in their bedroom basically. So everyone's got their challenges, but I think parenting during lockdown and starting up your own business must have been very interesting. <laughs> yes, it was. It was very interesting. It was very, very difficult, and I didn't, or I don't, I do now actually because the kids are in bunk beds. But I didn't have a spare room, so I was working basically in the kitchen. We'd moved houses, and I mean, I should have probably thought, given that I didn't really have a spare area the previous time, I should have just got a bigger house but anyway there you go it's another story for another time but yeah working in the kitchen and then having at the time a three-year-old as he was and a you know a fairly newborn because he was my second was born in May 2020 so right in the middle of lockdown so that was uh that was good fun but I have to be honest Josh as soon as I was able to go back to the office I took the opportunity so like in the July or August or whatever and took the necessary precautions but I just needed to get out get out of the house and get a bit more normality so what, what's the plan for you as time goes on? I don't know whether you've got one of those five-year plans in place or whatever, but I just mean in terms of over the next year or two, or you, do you think you'll look to, to recruit or will you stay solo or co-working skills permanently? Or? It's the golden question, isn't it? I mean, I'm firstly, I'm learning every day right now, so it's hard to think about a, the five-year plan. But I, what I will say is I, I, I personally think that, again, this would be an interesting one for you to disagree with or not, but a bit idealistic of me, I think that the purpose of work or the purpose of business is employment. Mm-hmm. You know, I think businesses exist to employ people. And I think it's an incredible privilege if you have a, a viable business, what an amazing privilege to be able to provide employment for people, right? And I mm-hmm. think that's what makes the world go round. So 
yeah, I think starting my own business, if I didn't have plans to hire someone, that would be disingenuous of me. But that said, it's slowly, slowly, right? Like I, I, I need to, I've got, a, I've got lots of work on, I've got lots of great clients right now. I say lots, I've got good clients right now. I'm relaxed, but I need a lot more clients and a lot more of a kind of viable revenue stream and, and replicable lower hanging fruit to justify bringing someone in to help. But that said, you know, I'd love to, I'd love to bring someone in. And I often like meet people and I think, oh, you'd be an amazing coach or you'd, you'd be great at what I do. And I'd love to take you under my wing or just, you know, work, bring you in somehow. And I can't right now and it's frustrating. Yeah. But yeah, so the answer is yes, I'd love to, I'd love to hire someone. Right now though, it's about nine months in, it's about just kind of building, building things out. Business. Yeah. yeah. That, it's, it's really exciting and, and I'm, I'm sure people like this, exist maybe i should have done some research before i say what i'm about to say but it would be nice as well i think if there were coaches for entrepreneurs or people who've started their own business i did a few linkedin videos just to give some of my my thoughts about all my experiences of starting a business kind of what i did well what i didn't do so well what i would have preferred to do, do if i had my time again those types of things because i feel as though the support maybe isn't out there for people who have never done it before. They've always worked for somebody else. They've always wanted to have their own business, you know, for whatever reason that might be. And then they end up in that position and you think, well, Craigie, what am I going to do now? And that was what it was like for me. And I'm, I know that there will be mentors out there, but I think to have the ability to to seek the services of a coach, maybe that you can just sit down and this is really hard or, you yeah, know, yeah. give me some tips, all of that sort of stuff. I think that would be quite a cool there's loads out there. In fact, I mean, it's in some sense, sometimes you go on LinkedIn and you think, God, it's a really saturated market. It's, you know, every, everyone seems to be a coach these days. But maybe that's, that's probably just because of, of my network. But there's loads out there. I would say, though, with, with specific coaching, like business coaching, you know, startup coaching, you want a, a, a coach or a mentor who's been there and done it. It's really worth doing your research on kind of the, where they're coming from and why they have niched into that world. Because if, yeah. if you've niched as a coach to help entrepreneurs or, or to help scale startups, then hopefully you've got a track record, right? And you, you can say, meet this CEO who I worked with and hear it from the horse's mouth. So I think, yeah, there's loads out there. I think now more important, more important than ever to, to do your research on who you're working with, meet them, sense check them and, and really kind of, get to know each other and, and understand each other's aims before you commit. But yeah, definitely something. I mean, I, I lean on someone who knows a lot more about coaching than I do. I would meet with him once a month and he, he's been great for me. It's brilliant. I think the education piece needs to be there as well to people because you probably have a load of coaches in, in your network on LinkedIn and those types of things. And I probably do as well now, but at one stage I didn't. And at one stage I didn't realize that that was even a thing. I knew that coaching existed, but kind of coaching for for startups and entrepreneurs. And it's only been with the benefit of hindsight and a few years experience under my belt that I thought, well, if I'd known about that at the time. So maybe that education piece needs to to be a bit more out there. And I know that doing things like this and podcasts talking about the benefits of coaching and all of that sort of stuff are going to help. But the more people that can get out to, I think the better for for me. Mm, For sure. Brilliant. Josh, I'm really grateful for all of the insights that you've given throughout the last 40 minutes or, or, or so has been really, really interesting. I, as always, want to, to give you the opportunity to talk a little bit more about capital traits and maybe for any listeners who might be interested in 
contacting you or picking your brains about these things. The floor's yours. Give, give, give us a little bit more about capital traits and, and how people can contact you. Gosh, I should have, should have rehearsed an elevator pitch for this moment. <laughs> there you go. So you can contact me on LinkedIn or just get through to me on the website, which is capitaltraits.com. I'd love to speak to anyone with whom the mission resonates. So, you know, if you're, if you are a business owner or a leader with a budget and you resonate with that mission to democratize leadership development, to make coaching and and support in the form of assessments to help, you know, develop self-awareness and leadership competence in your business, get in touch because it doesn't need to break the bank. And I'd love to to work with anyone who's keen to hear more. I don't have like a powerful marketing suite behind me or a sales funnel. So the best way to, to get to know me is to reach out, drop me a message. We can arrange a quick call and uh, see how we can work together. But yeah, thanks so much for, for having me on the podcast, Richard. It's my first time podcasting. I'm, it's been great. I need to work on not rambling, which I'm doing now. Something I need to, to, be, oh, to work, be more succinct. But um, no, it's been really fun. Really, really fun. Thank you. You would never think it's your first one, believe believe you me. But no, I re- really, really appreciate your time, Josh. It's it's really interesting to hear about your story as well. I'm always keen, you know, that it's a big passion of mine, people starting businesses. And also coaching is a big passion of mine now as well. So it's really, really interesting for me personally. And I, I know that the listeners will feel the same. So just to say thank you very much and uh, we'll speak soon. Cheers, Richard. See you soon. Take care, Josh. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Psych for Business. For show notes, resources, and more, visit evolveassess.com.